Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. Amos chapter 3 today, page 785 in the Red Bible. We have been doing the study of the minor prophets, so a lot of these things are seeming to be harsh kinds of ways of being, but this was God, this was who God was, and this is what um, God, how God dealt with sin, and how God deals with sin uh, even today in different areas of our lives. So, 785, starting in verse 1, and following down verse 2. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You alone have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, Israel is being punished for their iniquities. Amos dealt with other countries, other areas in the last few chapters, in the last couple chapters, but now he's dealing with Israel. The, uh, the commentator wrote here, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, Israel's rejection and disregard of God was all the more unexcusable in light of God's great deliverance. When he brought Israel up from the land of Egypt, God proved his love and care for Israel. For God to speak against them shows he must have been sorely provoked. So, God's chosen people got to the place where they were provoking God to wrath. And so if they can do that, so can we. We can provoke God to wrath with our actions and our deeds. After all, they were human, just like you and I. Their heart and our heart yearn for the same thing, the things that are not of God. Did you know that it is, it is foreign to the human being to follow God because we are not uh, we're born into sin, so we are, it is foreign for us to walk in the ways of God. We have to learn, we have to train ourselves to do that. And Israel, Egypt, or not Israel, but uh, they, Israel had walked away from God. The central act of redemption in the Old Testament was Israel's exodus from Egypt. All through the Old Testament, God called Israel to look back and remember him as the one who, feed, who freed them from Egypt. So that's what we're to do. We're to, we're to look back in our lives and say, 
God freed me from this. God brought me out of this. God saw me through this. God helped me with this. We're to look back and remember. It is when we walk through life and disregard the blessings of God, past or present or future blessings, that we end up in a position that Israel was in. The, the central act of redemption in the New Testament and in God's whole plan of redemption is the work of Jesus on the cross. In the same way, we are called to constantly look back and remember what Jesus did on the cross and live in light of that great fact. That is what we're to do. Look back and remember what Jesus did on the cross. Look back, look back and remember of the fact that he lived a sinless life. And he knew his destination. He knew his destiny. He knew he was going to die on the cross. He knew it was going to be for the redemption of souls. And he chose us over his own comfort. So we're to look back and remember that the finished work of God was done on the cross and through the resurrection. When we look at the resurrection, we realize that God raised Jesus from the dead to make this book a living book, to make this book a book that brings and changes lives. If Jesus would not have risen from the dead, this would be just another book in the history of written books. It is still the number one selling book in the world today. Why is that? Because of the promises that it holds and the fruition, the fruition of those promises through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why it is still the number one book ever sold. Because in this book, we find peace. In this book, we find hope. In this book, we find joy and everything we would ever need, comfort, and all those things. Following down the part of the part of this, this second second part of this, you know, you only have you only have I known of all the families of earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. God made it clear made a clear connection between the great privilege of Israel, you only have I known, and the great responsibility this privilege brings. Therefore, I will punish you. If Israel thought that their standing as a, spe as a specially chosen nation made them less re responsible before God, they were tragically mistaken. Now, Think about children's and children and parents. Just because we have children and we are parents doesn't mean we choose we choose to treat our children any different. Any any we let them slide. You know why we don't let them slide? Because we want them to be productive citizens in society. We want them to be well liked. We want them to be respectable. We want them to be responsible. Therefore, we punish when they do wrong. That's all God was doing here. 
Just because they're chosen doesn't mean that they're exempt from punishment. Just because your children are your children doesn't mean they're exempt from punishment. How many of us have had children that had to be, had to be spanked or had to be punished, right? We've all had that. That's a whole nother sermon, why that happens. But just because there are children doesn't mean that they are exempt from punishment. God wants us to be respectable, honorable, all those things. And just because we're his children doesn't make us exempt from punishment. Sometimes we seem to think, well, you know what? This person over here, they don't believe in God, so therefore they deserve judgment. You know, or, hey, you know, this person is a Christian, but he's walking away from God. He doesn't deserve God. He deserves punishment. Well, what about us? We tend to see the things in, our, in other people's lives that we refuse to see in our own. And when we refuse to see that, we're denying ourselves and we are ripe for judgment. The false deduction, which is too often made, is that if we are the privileged people of God, therefore, we may look to his mercy. He will not punish us. That is not so. The measure of our privilege, is, privilege in the divine economy is the measure of, the of our responsibility. We have a measure of responsibility. We hold responsibilities before God. We talked about those responsibilities a lot in these series of the minor prophets. But what is our responsibility now as believers? We talked about it in Sunday school. We are to be witnesses. And to be witnesses, we're to tell people what Jesus Christ has done for us, but we're also required to live justly before God and man. Therefore, if we fail to fulfill the responsibility, he will not pass over our sins, but rather will visit upon us all our iniquities. It is well that those nations who boast of the divine favor should lay this lesson to heart. We see a lot of things in today's day and age, a lot of TV preachers that preach a lot of, you do this, you're, you know, you're good, I'm good, God's good, you do what you want. Or prosperity preachers that say, if you do this, God will do this. If you do that, God will do that. Not so. We're called to live right before God. We're called to holiness. What did God say? He said, I am, you are to be holy for I am holy. Holiness. Living a life that is right before God. Living a life that is right before Jesus Christ. Not only in our closed doors, but also those around us. Being holy. Sometimes we are holy out in public, but we're not holy in behind closed doors. That's still sin. That's still sin. We have a responsibility. 
to be what God wants us to be. Verse, six, verse three down to verse six. Do two people walk together if they have not agreed? Does a lion roar in the forest if it, if it, ha if it has no prey? Does a young lion cry out for its den if it has not caught something? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground if there is no snare for it? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has not, if it has not caught something? If the trumpet blasts in the city, are not the people frightened? If there is disaster against the city, is it not the Lord who has done it? Now, in these sections, Amos connected six statements that, we, that were obviously true. The six statements of the obvious lead into the seventh statement, each one reinforcing the final point. When judgment comes against the cities of Israel, everyone should know that it will, was the Lord who has done it. It won't be an accident, fate, or bad luck. It will be the hand of the Lord. Let's look at that. Do two people walk together if they have not agreed? Naturally, if you are not in agreement with someone, do you have fellowship with them? Naturally, I mean, and, and, and as, as Christians, we should. But naturally, if we don't agree with someone, do we, do we still hang out or hang around them? Not really. Does a lion roar in the forest if it has no prey? If it's not hunting, does it have a reason to roar? No. Does a young lion cry out of its cry out for its from its den if it has not caught something? No. Because it's not hasn't have a need to. Right? These things are important. Does a bird fall into the trap on the ground if it has no if if, if there's no stair for it? So a bird is not going to just go down and get into the trap, right? These are obvious statements. Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has not caught something? Nope, it'll just sit there. If the trumpet blasts in the city, are, are not the people frightened? Yeah. Why is it blowing? If there is a disaster against the city, is not the Lord who is it not the Lord who has done it? He's saying here that everything is in God's control. If there is a siege in the city, God has allowed it. Nothing surprises God, nothing surprises him in the least. Some people say in our nation right now, well, how can we have this, this legislation in government? How can we have God controlled it. God allowed it to happen. Things that happen in our lives do not surprise God. 
Oh, we got a president we don't like. That doesn't surprise God. We didn't get the president we wanted. God's going to go hide away in the corner because he didn't get what he wanted. No, it did not surprise God. God allowed it to happen. We got, a, we got in a car wreck. God, God understood it. God allowed it to happen. Why? We don't know yet. We got a diagnosis. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? Did it surprise God? No. God sees. God knows. God understands. It is our job to follow, our job to be holy. Because if we're not, we'll end up in calamity. Verses 7 and 8. Surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing his purpose to his servants and prophets, to his servants the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Now, prophecy was important in the Old Testament. That is how they heard from God. We didn't have, they didn't have in the Old Testament what we have today. They don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like we do when we're born again. They didn't have that then. God spoke to his people through the prophets. The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? If the Lord has spoken to us today, do we listen? God tells you, I want you to start, stop, or change something. Do we listen? Or do we say, God, I can't, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I don't know how to do this, God. I don't know how to do this. Well, that's true. Maybe we don't know how to do this. But that doesn't mean we quit. When God says something, do we listen? When God gives warnings, do we listen? Don't go in that place. Don't do that thing. Do we listen? Surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing his purpose to his servants and prophets. In context, Amos spoke of the coming judgment upon Israel. God revealed the secret to his prophets. And it was prophesied for years and years before it happened so Israel would have every opportunity to repent. God has patience. If you look back on your life, as I look back on my life, is there areas of your life that you could say, well, if it wasn't for God, I'd be dead right now? If it wasn't for God, I would not be here today. I would not be in this building if it wasn't for God. Can we say that? That's God having patience with us. God gave them warning years and years prior. Did they repent? Obviously not. There is judgment coming. But God gives us the ability to know when we're doing wrong today. And he gives us opportunity to repent. Do we repent? 
Or do we say, well, God doesn't say anything about that in the Scripture. Didn't talk about that, so it must be okay. There's a lot of things I can think about that God says that, in the, that, that people say in the Scripture that say, well, God doesn't talk about that, so it must be okay. But if you read the Scripture for the Scripture, you realize that God speaks about a lot of things. He just doesn't name them, name them as we name them now. But he speaks of a lot of things. God especially reveals the secrets of his coming judgment so that, when men, so that men will have time to repent and no reason to be surprised. You ever have that feeling when, when you're about to do something and say, well, you, you feel like you shouldn't do it? Just feel like it doesn't seem right, you shouldn't do it, but, you know, you do it anyway, and then it goes wrong? Are you surprised by that? Such secrets of God are revealed to them, they that may inform the people that by repentance and conversion they may avoid evil, and by walking closely with God, secure and with continuance in his favor. That's, what the, that's why God warns us, so that we will be able to do that. We'll be able to walk with God. We'll be able to walk with him in his favor. We tend to kind of look past that. Why does God always pick on me? You ever think about that? Why is God always picking on me? Why, why can't I do this? Why, can't I do, why am I always being punished? Why is God a vengeful God? That's what a lot of people say about God of the Old Testament. He's a vengeful God. He's a vengeful God. No, he's not. He's a sovereign God who passes judgment on those who choose not to walk with him. We must remember the context of the prophet Amos and understand that this does not mean that God does nothing without revealing it to the prophet first. In Ephesians 3, 5, Paul described how God deliberately hid the nature of the church, being a new body, not Israel and not Gentile. From the Old Testament prophets, this is one example of something that God didn't announce to explain it until it happened without giving a prior revelation to a prophet. Do you know why? If we look at the Old Testament if we look at the Old Testament body of Christ, the church, it encompasses everyone. Jewish, Christian, Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, United Brethren. It encompasses everyone. Do you know why? Because it has nothing to do with affiliation, outward affiliation. It has everything to do with an inward part of who we are, who we believe in, and who we follow. Jesus Christ, and in our heart, that is who we follow. Therefore, it doesn't matter if it says United Brethren on the sign, or if it says United Methodist on the sign, or if it says First Assembly of God, or whatever, whatever, doesn't matter. It's what's inside us, not what's on the door, and not, what, not anything else. If he would revealed in the Old Testament that it would, the church was going to be filled with Jewish people and Gentile people, 
it never would have went anywhere. We see that in the Gospels. We see that what, what happened in the Gospels. Jesus was labeled a heretic. Jesus was labeled a, a, a blasphemer because he dare say that the church is also for the Gentile. So he didn't reveal it until Paul in Ephesians. Because it would have been more of an of a obstacle to get around if he'd have said it in the Old Testament. The law kept them from seeing God as who he really was. Even up to Jesus' time, the law kept them from seeing Jesus for who he was. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Some people say, well, does that mean that the law has no relevance? The law has relevance. Jesus came to fulfill, not to abolish. We are still called to be holy. That's an Old Testament thing. We're still called to follow God. That is an Old Testament principle. So the law has relevance. A lion has roared who will not fear. The Lord God has spoken who cannot prophesy. Amos is saying, do not blame me. I'm only the messenger. Remember that? Don't shoot the messenger. As natural as it is for man to fear when lion roars, that is how natural it is for the prophet, the prophet to prophesy when the Lord God has spoken. It's a natural thing for the prophet to speak when God speaks to them. Now the question might come today, whether or, or in, in the future, or maybe it's come in, up in the past, do prophets exist today? Do God, do, do, does God use prophecy and prophets today? I would say yes, he does. He uses prophecy. I am not a cessationist. I believe God can still do miracles today. I believe God can still speak to his people today through, through other men, through, through mankind, and through his word. The fault and the, and the, and the heaviness lies with the prophet whether the prophet speaks what God tells them to or speaks something else. That has nothing to do with you and I or God. It has everything to do with the prophet. And so God can and God does speak to his people through prophecy. Verses 9 and 10. Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashrod, Ashdod, excuse me, and the fortresses in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great disorders within her and the oppression in her midst. They do not know how to do right, says the Lord, storing up violence and destruction in their fortresses. Now, they do not know how to do right. Let's look at that for a moment in context of 2023. How many of us 
know people that we could say they don't know how to do right as far as God is concerned. They're totally blind to what God is saying to them or what God is trying to show them. They don't know how to do right. How many of us know people like that? People, some people don't know how to do right. And it's a shame. That's a shame. The first part of this, proclaim in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces of the land of Egypt. The city of Ashdod was a, was a leading city in the Philippines. God invited the nations represented here by Philistia and Egypt to come to Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, and to see their sin, the great tumults in, in their midst, and the oppression, the oppressed within her. Hubbard, on the choice of the Egyptians and Philistines, has witnessed their, their reputations and injustice and brutality would be resented, repre, re, resented by the Israelites who would consider themselves in every way morally superior to those whom God had summoned as witnesses. Now think about that. That statement. Their reputations for injustice and brutality would be resented by the Israelites who would consider themselves in every way morally superior to those who God had summoned as witnesses. Do you understand that? The Israelites considered themselves way, in every way morally superior. And yet God was about to pass judgment on Israel. But yet they're morally superior. What does that sound like? Sounds like a whole lot of pride and a whole, lot, and a whole little bit of humility. I'm morally superior to anybody else. That's where their mindset was. You see these people? I'm morally superior than them. We see that in the, in the Gospels where that one man was in the temple and there was a, there was a, a Pharisee and a, and a Gentile or, or a regular common person. And, the, and, the, and the, the priest was saying, God, thank you, I'm not like this man. I thank you, I'm not like him. And the other man was saying, God, and beating his chest, God, forgive me for I'm a sinner. That priest was, considered himself morally, morally um, better than him. Morally superior. But the scripture says, who was, who was forgiven? The one who beat his chest and forgive me, I'm a sinner. The one who recognized their sin. Israel, in this point, didn't recognize their sin. They were morally superior. They were proud. They were full of pride, and that in itself was a sin. And is a sin today. It would also show that covenant law is not the only criteria, cri criterion for testing Israel's behavior 
but that by any standards of international decency, they have become culprits. So they're culprits. Who's the culprit? Basically, who's done it? Who's the one guilty? Their moral superiority and their pride has made them guilty. And our moral superiority and pride can make us guilty. And God will pass judgment and say he's had enough of us. Who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. The rich and powerful of Israel use their wealth and power to oppress and steal from others. God invited nations to see the sin of Israel so they could understand the judgment he would bring upon Israel. So their pride and their superiority caused them to be thieves. They would oppress people, steal from others, because after all, they're morally superior. God invited the nations to see the sin of Israel. Why? Because Israel was puffed up. Israel was pride. So he was bringing them low. So nations would see their sin. And they could understand the judgment. They could understand the judgment in a couple ways. Israel was not what, they, what it was supposed to be, number one. And it, they were an example this is what's going to happen if you do the same. This will happen to you if you do the same. If you act this way, this will happen. God tells us that every day in His Word, in our actions. We see people punished for things they've done wrong. God is telling us if you do that, also, you'll get the same. Judgment. Verses 11 and 12. Make sure I'm in the right chapter here. 11 and 12. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an enemy will surround your land. He will tear down your defenses and your fortresses will be plundered. Thus says the Lord as the shepherd rescues out of the mouth of the lion a pair of, leg, a pair of legs or a piece of an ear, so will the children of Israel be rescued, those who live in Samaria with the corner of, the, of a bed or a piece of a couch. So, an enemy is going to surround their land. They're going to have judgment upon the nation. And the people are going to cry out, God, God, why, where are you? Why is this happening to us? What's going on? Just like they have in so many years in prior. Israel has had a cycle, and they're in the midst of the cycle of sin and repentance. Now they're in sin again. And they're going to cry out. And God then eventually will bring about a deliverer. 
But again, he will bring judgment. And they will cry out, God, why have you left us? God, where are you? God, please help us. God, forgive us. And it does not surprise God that these things are happening. Because it is him who brings about the judgment. It is God who brings about the judgment. And they're going to escape with just pieces. We used to say, remember you say, I got, I, I escaped that by the skin of my teeth. You have, you're going to escape with the skin of their teeth. They'll be utterly destroyed. They'll still be alive, but they'll be utterly destroyed. An adversary shall be around, all around the land. This was fulfilled in the Syrian invasion of Israel less than 30 years after Amos made his prophecy. For 10 years, Israel was a, was a subject state in the, in the Assyrian Empire. So, judgment did come. It wasn't swift in our time, way of thinking, but it was swift enough. 30 years they were conquered by Assyria. They were invaded and conquered, brought into captivity. As a shepherd takes from the mouth of the lion, that's from Exodus 22, 10 through 13, it says that if an animal dies in the care of another man, such as a shepherd, that the shepherd must make restitution to the owner of the animal unless he could bring remains that proved the animal was attacked by a predator. So, they're going to escape with an ear or with a piece of clothing or a piece of the couch as to bring proof that they were attacked, that judgment took place. Amos' comparison then makes the sarcastic point that when invasion strikes, Israel's devastation will be so complete that all that will be rescued is proof of death in the form of the scraps of furniture. They're going to be spiritually bankrupt. They're spiritually bankrupt and morally bankrupt as well as some of them physically dead. As a nation, they are morally bankrupt. As a nation, they are morally done. And God is going to pass judgment. So shall the children of Israel be taken out of who, out who dwell in Samaria. This was fulfilled in the Assyrian exile to Israel, of Israel less than 40 years after Amos made his prophecy. After a little more than 10 years as a subject state in the Assyrian Empire, Israel was completely conquered by Assyria and the people of Israel were taken from their land and scattered throughout the Assyrian Empire. They lost everything. They lost their land. They lost their homes. And they were scattered 
among Assyria, judgment upon them. Judgment upon them. Verse 13 to 15. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts. Surely on the day I punish the transgressions of Israel, I will also punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will destroy the winter house as well as the summer house, and the houses of ivory will perish. The great houses will come to an end, says the Lord. He's going to rip down everything. What are they proud of? What do they have pride in? He's going to rip it all down, strip it away. He does these things to rebuild. He rips things away to rebuild. Whenever you purify a metal like silver or gold, there is dross on top. The dross has to be dragged off the top in order to make it pure. Sometimes it is heated up and reheated up and reheated up, and the more the dross is out, the more pure it is. And therefore, these things that he is tearing down, the winter house, the summer house, the houses of ivory, these are the dross of their lives. These are the things that are holding them back to following God the way that they should. We go on here. He says, I, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. The altars of dedication to idols would be destroyed by God's judgment. When we build a place of idolatry, we invite God to destroy it. We look at Gideon, what happened in Gideon's time. His father was leading the idolaters, and God called him to be a mighty man of valor, although he was the least of this tribe, and his tribe was the least of the nation of Israel. So if, he was, if anybody was weak, it was him. And God chose him to make a change. His father had brought, built an altar to a false god, to idols, and, his, and Gideon tore it down. You invite those things to be torn down. If we make idols in our lives, anything, we're inviting God to tear those things down and put us into judgment. Why? To make us better than we already are. God wants us to be better than we are right now, today. And he is expecting us as believers and as people to follow. We ought to know, we ought to understand as people and believers that we are not to follow in the way of idolatry. But in doing so, we invite God to tear down our, our houses, the things, our altars. The great houses shall have an end. 
God's judgment would not stop at places of idol worship. It would also extend to places built and enjoyed through oppression and robbery. Now, I would suggest, I would put forth, and I would submit that these places, the winter house, the summer house, the houses of ivory, those two are an extension of idolatry. Just like today, we say, well, this, these people, they worship idols. Well, don't we? Anything that is an idol, you know what an idol is? It's anything that takes you away from the presence of God. Doesn't matter if it's a speaker, a candle, a camera. It doesn't matter. It's anything that takes you away from the presence of God. And then it takes you away from that relationship with God. So it could be anything today. I seem to harp on things, but it could be television, social media, ourself, anything is what an idol is. And God can bring judgment on those things. So it's not just statues people worship, even today in 2023, but it's the things that take us away from God. It's the things that pull us away from His presence. And we cherish more than that. Those are idols in our lives. In the age prior to Jeroboam II, the houses in Israel's cities were roughly the same size. But archaeologists find a change starting in the 8th century BC. Ancient cities like Tirzah have a neighborhood of large, expensive houses and another neighborhood of small, crowded structures, smaller than the houses from the previous years. The larger houses are filled with the marks of prosperity and the, and the oppressive rich of Israel thought they could find safety there, but God's judgment came against those houses as well, just as Amos prophesied. So our stature does not save us. So what is, what is our takeaway? Just because we're called of God, just because we're believers in Jesus Christ, does not exempt us from judgment. We cannot live the way we want. We have to live the way God calls us to live. We cannot do the things we want. We have to do the things that God calls us to do. Amen? We are not to live the way we want. We are to live holy, for He is holy. That is how we surpass judgment. That is how we stay away from judgment. Amen? So what's our takeaway? Search our hearts. Ask God to show us an importance in our lives. That he is more, that he is less important than? Is it social media? Is it self? Is it television? Is it our vehicles? Is it our homes? Whatever the case, anything we put higher than God is an idol. And we have to know that that is not right. And we are ripe for God to tear down those idols, that we would follow him in a real way. 
So that is our takeaway. That's what we're supposed to do this week. Find those things in our lives. Think about those things in our lives that are pulling us away from God and allow God to do some changing in us. Amen? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your peace. And I ask that you would touch and minister to us. Help us to know the things that we put above you. And Lord, help us to put you in your rightful place in the front, front and center in our lives. Lord, I pray you'd be with us today. I pray you'd minister to us by your spirit and give us peace. Give us a good week. Help us to be hungry for your word. Help us to be hungry for your presence. Help us to witness to those that Lord need to be witnessed to. And Lord, minister to us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.